Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, hey you. Um, I'm sorry that I'm making such a habit lately of these weird, forbidding intros at the start of the podcast, but this one I really wanted to talk about. Um, some of you might know that I have a new book coming out in June. It's called The Rachel Incident. It's my first book for adults in a few years. And I'm really excited about it. It's it's probably the best reviewed thing I've ever done. Um, Gabrielle Zevin really liked it. Sloane Crosley really liked it. Marion Keyes really liked it. I won't tell you what it's about just now because we have limited time and a great podcast ahead of us. But I did want to tell you that if you wanted to pre-order the book and pre-orders are incredibly useful uh, to authors. Um, among other things, it's like, obviously it's good for me in terms of money and sales, but it's also just good for bookshops to get an indication of how much interest there actually is in a book. Um, and then they, when they see a lot of pre-orders, they often um, order a lot of copies in. It's all just very good and healthy for the author to have a lot of pre-orders. So to get the best possible value on a pre-order of The Rachel Incident, um, you can go to the Virago store. Now, Virago is the name of the publisher. It's V-I-R-A-G-O. Um, they're part of Little Brown. So the Virago store, if you just Google it, you'll see uh, The Rachel Incident on the homepage. And when you go to checkout, you can type in the offer code Meet Rachel for a 25% pre-order discount code. Um, I can't do maths in my head, but 25% off $16.99 hardback. That's a good discount. Um, you won't find it anywhere else. Um, so it's a limited time only. Uh, get on it if you can. It would really help me out and get you a great price for a book you'll probably end up buying at the airport anyway. So um, the checkout code is meet Rachel at the Virago store only. Thanks guys. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline, and Mom, I am a rich man. Joining me is the dark lady who lit the candles one by one, Emma Farris. Hi. I feel deranged. I'm, <laughs> I'm already deranged on Cher. Are you okay? I'm not okay, okay because okay. Cher is a huge part of the reason that I started this podcast in the first what? place. Talk to me. So, so um, when this podcast first started in 2018, yeah. it was going to be about sort of trashy books yeah. and specifically chiclet. And one of the things that I had in the sort of center of the spider diagram was a very trashy memoir called The First Time by Cher, which I picked up in a secondhand shop on holidays when I was about 11. And it's kind of these short sort of almost like blog post length, you know, little memories from her life that takes her all the way from mm. her like very early childhood up till now. And even though I had a very dim idea of who Cher was at that time, like I, I turned back time would have been around then, I yeah. think, and believe and all that. So I was, I knew who she was, yeah. but <laughs> I'm one of the very few people who can say that I got fascinated by Cher first through her literature. <laughs> Perfect. And you know what? When you asked if I wanted to be on the show and what I was interested in talking about, it absolutely didn't cross my mind to talk about Cher because she has never been for me in any way dismissible. No, like she yeah. lives in such a profound and serious <laughs> space for me across the realms of singing, acting and so, activism. So it took me a minute yeah. to suggest her. But when you did, I just I just lit up because I, I have been waiting and waiting and I have been courting people. Like there are people who are share scholars or who do performance art based on share who I have reached out to and who have blanked me for whatever <gasps> reason. People are very private about their share. Wow. Lives. Okay. They don't want to share no. about share. But today this is such an important day for yes, me. Good. I'm sweating yeah. with like, oh no, what if I get it wrong? She's no. like my favourite. She's my no. favourite of all no. the divas. Okay. No. There's, a, there's a kind of a theory we posited on this podcast a while ago on the meaning of Mariah Carey episode, which is that like a star sign, everybody yeah. is born under a diva star. Ah. And that that's sort of somebody who sort of, she's not like you. 
but she sort of epitomizes who you feel you could be if you were allowed. Just, yeah. Yeah. A kind yeah. of spirit animal. Yeah. And how did you realize that Cher was your diva star? It's going to make you sad, though, but I'll tell you. Okay. Um, so, kind of a fairly typical immigrant story is that my grandfather, um, w- so we were at a state school and he said to my parents he wanted to pay for us to go to private school and he paid for us to go to a private school where I was relentlessly bullied for being Jewish I was the only Jewish kid Um, and uh, you know it taps into the raw sharsh test nature of Jewish people like are they white are they brown where they've traveled the world they've been expelled from everywhere and Cher was at that probably the same age as you were when I got into her um, a spirit animal goddess reflection of what it is to be non-specifically other and the power of that Um, and the fact that uh, you know people could tell you were not like them was a but they couldn't put their finger on why Mm. was a negative you know dangerous thing for me at school like it was a very it's my primary wound like everyone has their primary wound and for a lot of people it's a heartbreaker it's a but me sincerely it is that time at school a lot of my romantic choices are dictated by when I look back I realized were dictated by oh well you know if they like me then I'm not what those girls at school said it was a brutal time that's never gone away but she is the reverse you know she's the reverse of that of the power the goddess power of being uh not like them yes (laughs) oh my god you've said a lot I'm sorry (laughs) no I just I just love guests like you so much sometimes you get people on this podcast who are like I don't know I just like it and that's it and then somebody comes in and they just give you the wound yeah yeah first and why this thing is necessary and has been propping up the framework of their entire lives yeah. and, and it's I just I'm just so grateful when anyone comes in with that <laughs> level and I'm, I'm so sorry you went through that but I'm so um moved that you can articulate it in Thank such a way you. no and I mean it's worth I mean we could say up front that I think um the fact that Cher is Armenian yeah is uh not insignificant in the kind of star she became because Armenia itself is a country that has been invaded and dominated endlessly through history um, is described depending on your political allegiance as being either Central Asian, Western Asian, mm. geopolitically European, like it it shape shifts to what people want it to be. Um, all my Iranian, my Persian friends, absolutely. So Armenia is... Um, uh, surrounded on one side by Turkey, the other by Iran. So to my Persian friends, they're like, oh, she's just like my Persian aunties. It's very important yeah. to them that she's. they don't consider her a white woman. Like, it's important to them. They consider her brown. They think that she's, you know, honorary uh, Iranian, basically. Um, and I guess it's also, you know, p- potentially her male flip uh, equivalent is Freddie Mercury, is oh, yes, you know the course. everything to all people and yeah and the Indian his, and British yeah, and, yeah and the historical you know coming from an ancient so Armenia was the world's first ever Christian state the first state ever in history to adopt Christianity as its religion wow uh, as its official religion and you know Freddie Mercury being Zoroastrian like to to come from ancient cultures I think is part of the journey to feeling beyond being a pop icon being um a god like that's how we feel about freddie mercury is like his yeah. face was godlike yeah. her face was godlike i mean it's changed now but yeah you know, it, but it's still godlike looks you know what I mean? like a carving you know looks like a uh like, discovery in yeah. the ruins of an ancient city that's so know. beautifully that is exactly how i think about their faces yeah. they are like heads on easter island yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 and I think that, I mean, I, I, I've just learned so much about Armenia <laughs> in this, the opening of this podcast. But, it, you know, it obviously puts you in mind of Kim Kardashian. Who does the same thing in the, you know, benefit of uh, capitalism, which, of course, yeah. Cher does because she's a gazillionaire. But it feels so different. Yeah. It feels like such a spiritual uh, endeavor in which she's taking 
her admirers along with her. Like, I don't think, does anyone feel like by being an admirer or follower of Kim Kardashian, she's bringing them with her? That would be hard for me to wrap my head around. I think people who are, I'm, I'm not a Kardashian fan, but I, I kind of, I, it's gotten to a point now where I sort of just enjoy the fact that they're just a family of women who are dominating the media mm-hmm. and making it for themselves. And that's kind mm-hmm. of fun for me. I mean, what she does have in common with Cher is, despite or around or surrounding all of the acknowledged and un- unacknowledged plastic surgery, the basic yeah. face is extraordinary. Like Kim yes. Kardashian's face that you see in childhood pictures is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like Cher. Yeah, and it's also this thing where, and this is where the kind of, um, I guess, problematic discourse, which has become so sort of binary and simplified and quite mm. uninteresting, kind of becomes so much gray, grayer and varied and strange because mm. it's like both both of these celebrities, who mm. I never really thought to compare before, Mm-mm-mm. have been um, uh, accused of sort of making taking advantage of their own sort of aesthetic racial ambiguity yeah. and pushing it to different levels yeah. to the point where they are co-opting mm. um, or being offensive for Sherry, the half-breed stage. But they didn't say that about Sherry at the time because it was a different time. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of with hindsight. But yeah, at the time she did Gypsy, she did mm-hmm. Native American, she obviously played to astonishing acclaim Italian. Like she yeah. did. And that's actually very... Jewish. It's a ja- old Jackie Mason joke. Is Jewish women are like, could I be Greek? Do I look Russian? Could I pass as Italian? It's like you look Jewish. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you know that's share is the person not only that the audience can dream into, but she's dreaming into herself. And what's more inspiring than that? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and I think as well, it's like. I was listening to those songs on the way here, mm. um, Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves, mm. uh, Half Breed, and, and uh, I, I think a lot of people now have been like, oh, share, yeah. bad yeah. luck share. And like, yeah, bad luck share. Like, I mean, you don't, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't need me to explain to you yeah. why like wearing a headdress on the Carol yeah. Burnett show right. as a, not, like an Armenian woman is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, as you said, it's like because she was so othered in this kind of 1970s beauty standard which was so about Farrah Fawcett mm-hmm. and Marsha Brady and yeah. that sort of like thin-lipped underdone blonde woman yeah, kind yeah. of wholesome aesthetic yeah. um, she, because she was just different to that she could therefore stand for mm-hmm. all kinds of difference and while those songs have like language in them that we would find cringy or offensive now mm-hmm. the sort of um, the messaging of the songs themselves was about standing up for outsiders kind of thing yeah, which is what and, makes it complicated and I think that I don't do you know what I think that anyone people can feel who's a good person like yeah. you know there's a really basic reason again to go back to Freddie Mercury that it was so much fun to watch the Freddie Mercury biopic and it's not fun to watch an Elton John biopic because Elton John is unpleasant and people know that. Like, he's brilliant, but there isn't, you know, warmth and goodness in him towards his common man. Whereas you talk about Freddie Mercury, you talk people felt it so strongly about George Michael was that, you know, yes. for all the struggles, yeah. just like what a tender person he, he was. And people feel that about Cher, you know, with those missteps, they know that she has a generosity of spirit that you can you can forgive her. And and, and when people talk about Cher, they, they, they rarely talk about that, about that sort of, yes, that is a generosity of spirit because mm. I get so frustrated whenever I try and listen to modern interviews with Cher mm. because I think, I don't know, you probably feel the same, that there are just times when it's like late at night or whatever where I'm just on those YouTube rabbit holes of watching Cher on talk shows just sort of blink exhaustedly at some idiot yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. say something so cutting and so brilliant. Yeah. But um, even like the most well you know, intentioned and well-researched interviewers will be like, it's just two things. It's, why are you so old? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why are, why are yeah. you so old? Why, but why? Yeah. And how does it feel? And yeah. why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the second thing is like, oh God, you've reinvented yourself a lot, haven't you? Kind of thing. And I think what they miss in that is like, yes, be, like, Lots of celebrities reinvent themselves, but we don't hear about it because it's not mm. successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, lots of people are trying to do something. What Cher has, I think, is that she's beloved by people in the industry. Like mm. Meryl Streep's her best friend. Like yeah. when you read things about her and people speaking about her, you always get this intention like Cher is just a really good hang. Yeah. She's like a nice person to be around. Well, also, I mean, 
See if you can think with me of anyone apart from Dolly Parton who, like Cher, uh, is able to exist completely in the realm of camp and also be valued and recognised for her authenticity. Yes. I cannot think of anyone except those two women off the top of my head. No. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's sort of like a magic trick because how do you do those two things at once? But they do. It's a complete magic trick and I think there's something in that about the plastic surgery or something yeah. because that's what kind of... I mean, those two women have a lot in common. They're kind mm. of the... I mean, I feel like Dolly's the Glinda the Good Witch mm. and there's something sort of like the mm. Wicked Witch of the West about yeah. Cher. Yeah. There's something just sort of dynamic and opposing about the two mm. of them while mm. still being essentially the same. Mm. And I think there's something about... They've created this image mm. of themselves. And I, I always um, think about this of like the most... Pe- people who are most successful at fame, like big, big fame, mm. like mm. huge, huge venue fame... Um, they are able to create a hologram of themselves that mm. works without them. Mm-hmm. So it's like they can shine a laser pointer over their shoulder and mm. have their life and have their children and mm. be people. Mm. And meanwhile, the hologram of Cher is working on Cher's behalf. Mm, because we have such a... Because that face, that carving is such a big thing for us. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Um, do you want to talk about plastics? I have things to say about plastic surgery. Yes, as please. a side... So... I'm very interested, first of all, in why it seems when you look at things that plastic surgery used to be better than it is now. So uh, when you say better, so Marilyn Monroe, and it's been confirmed by the Mm x-rays, had uh, a nose job and a chin implant Mm -hmm. uh, that completely changed her face. And yet did like changed it for the camera so that the camera would fall on it in a different way and make her look on screen the way she looked in real life. See, that's the key to great plastic surgery is that the camera does not, you know, when you hear your voice on an answer phone Mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like you and faces on screen and the same when you see pictures of yourself at a wedding or whatever, you're like, I don't look like that. And there is a distortion that can be corrected for the screen in a way that just makes them look how they look in real life. That's the best plastic surgery in the world. That's what Marilyn Monroe had. And that's what Cher has in Moonstruck because she has her own nose that she always had, but Mm. a size down. Like it's almost unheard of to think about, uh, I don't want to, you know, I feel terrible. I don't want to. Okay, I am going to name someone because they've acknowledged it and talked about it themselves. Bella Hadid has talked about how she regrets having had rhinoplasty at 14 and that she wishes she had the face of her ancestors. She's Palis- mm. Her father's Palestinian. Mm. Um, and, you know, her mother, obviously, who's a white Dutch woman, signed the papers so that a 14-year-old could get a nose job. And what she got was a very white, European standard of beauty knows and Mm. she is a great beauty and a tremendous supermodel like she uh, I can see that but it's the opposite of what Cher did in Moonstruck where she still looked exactly like Cher she still looked ethnic Mm. Um, and this is where I do the big reveal my mother and I for years like would always say the greatest plastic surgery that was ever done was Cher's nose in Moonstruck And one day I ended up at a dinner party, sat next to Cher's best friend, (gasps) who's a jewellery designer called Laurie Rodkin. And I said to her, I have to ask you, do you know who did Cher's nose in Moonstone? Are you allowed to tell me? And she told me. And he's a guy who basically is the ethnic rhinoplasty specialist who would you would go to if you wanted to still. What a business card. Right. It's a pretty good one. I went to him. With my first paycheck when I was 23, and you would never, ever know. And he gave me this. Oh, my God. He gave me the same nose, one size down, just like he did with Cher. Still has a bump in it. Oh. Am I your best guest ever? You are my (laughs) best guest ever. Oh, my God. Removed only slightly from Cher. We've been touched by the same hands. I don't know where to begin (laughs) with that. Yeah, but actually, do you know... What a continuity. So the reason I'm telling you that is it taps into me, into, for me, 
the most profound thing about Cher, which is you can be two things at once. You can yeah. be vain. You can care potentially too much about your appearance and you can be an authentic and serious and loving and politically activated person. You can be both. Yes. And that's okay. Cannot believe... First, the series of events that sort of like falling in love with Cher yep. as a very young person, mm-hmm. as a bullied girl in mm-hmm. boarding school. Mm-hmm. No, uh, private school, yeah. yeah. Private, sorry, private school, boarding school. Um, so, I mean, specifically for your Looks. Jewishness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then <laughs> yep. falling in love with Cher because of this. Yeah. Now, okay, here's actually a question I want to ask. Go on. Lots of people, like, um, like I've spoken to black friends about Meghan Markle, for example, yeah. and they talk about her plastic the nose, surgery and the, the nose, nose yeah. and how disappointing and yeah. upsetting they find that, yeah. that they've, she's been Europeanized. Yeah, and the hair, I'd love to see her real texture. Sure, yeah, be, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, was there not any part of you that was like, I idolised Cher for her... No, difference. I know what you're asking. Yes. No, because I didn't do the Bella Hadid. Because no. I specifically said I still want to look Jewish. Yeah. I want to spend less time looking in the mirror and I want to look in photos how I look in real life. Yeah, You're sitting here looking at me like it. it's not a small nose. It's a lovely it's, nose. It's a good nose. And Cher in Moonstruck to me is just one of... The greatest beauties to ever be on the screen, you know, like Ava Gardner level and taps into also something like I'm a pathetically heterosexual woman, but my greatest relaxation is looking on screen, dreaming into the faces of beautiful women. Like, I cannot watch films that don't have men in them. I mean, that don't have women in them. Oh, my God. It's so hard for me. Exactly how I am. Literally, every time I'm with my partner, and yeah. he's like, um, "Shall we watch this?" And I, oh, the first thing I always ask is, "Who's the women?" Yeah, who are yeah, the women? Yeah, yeah. And it has to be a face I want to dream into. So, and you know, it's all personal. Like for me, Cher is a huge one. Rachel Vice is a huge mm. one. Um, I, I, I directed a movie that Jemima Kirk was in, and I cast her because she's fantastic. But also, it's the face that you can one dream of the into. Great I remember years and years ago being in LA, going to Chateau Mama for lunch, and the hostess at the restaurant who took me to my seat clearly was not meant to be there. She clearly was meant to be iconic. It was Jodie Turner-Smith. Female faces that I can project my dreams Mm. onto. Um, I feel that way about Natasha McElhorn as well. Oh my God, yes. That's a face I dream into. It's the only reason I watched fucking five seasons of that show. Was it Californication? Californication. Are you one of the like 11 people in this country who watched that? I did watch it. Yeah, me and an ex-boyfriend. We were obsessed with it. But back to Cher. Yes. Um, Yeah, so something... (laughs) One thing I find endlessly funny about Cher is that her name is Cher. Like, Sherilyn Sarkeesian. Sherilyn Sarkeesian. Yeah. Yeah. And this thing of like, every, uh, there's a story that she tells that I know you've definitely heard before, which yeah. is that when, you know, she had done acting classes for years, she's this kid who grows up, her mom's an actress, her mom, Georgia Holt, is an actress. Um, and is her mom kind of is the mom for mermaids. Yeah. She's like this glamorous woman who's always kind of moving around yeah. and always getting married yeah. and never sticks around yeah. with the husband. And yeah. like Cher talks about all these beautiful houses she lived in growing mm. up where she would have a dad for a bit and he was a nice guy, but then mom got tired and yeah. then we moved on and her and her sister and the mom's an actress. She's um just a, oh, oh she's a white woman. Um the the father is kind of not in the picture at all Um, and how she kind of grows up her entire life with all these last names and none of them fit yeah and then she sort of, you know, goes to drops out of school at sixteen. She's heavily dyslexic, as as anyone who reads her Twitter yes. will know. <laughs> oh, such a joy! And um, drops out of school, um, starts attending acting classes, mm. and and she's just like the penal- She's the ultimate sort of gal about town. Like, just driving around LA, going to acting classes, picking yep. up Warren Beatty, yep. shagging him at 16. Yep. So the, the the person that I think is interesting, I actually don't know if they were friends, but um, Carrie Fisher reminds me in her entwinement yes. with her mother, in the fact that her mother is the great love of her, was the great love of her life, but was also the antagonist of her life. Mm. Um, like Cher, didn't look like her mother. You know, mm. like Cher, she looked ethnic. Her mother was like blonde hair, blue eyes. Her mother looked like Doris Day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Carrie Fisher's mom is Debbie Reynolds. Um, there's something interesting to me about 
women who can't disentangle from their mothers who uh, didn't she either live with her mother or right by I know that Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds live next to each other mm. their whole lives and share and I died like within a mom, day of one another I know and, yeah does Cher, does Cher's mom live with her? Cher's mom died in December of last year. I remember that, which, yeah. And she was, you know, 96. But does she live in the house? I think she did live yeah. with her, yeah. There's something um, surpri- pleasingly surprising about women who are so entangled with their mothers and who are such strong, fascinating, original thinkers. I find it's it weird. so interesting how, like, we have so much discourse and conversation around daddy issues and yeah. daddy girls and all this mommy kind of issues, stuff. Yeah. We don't hear as much yeah. about mommy issues yeah. and those... <laughs> I read something about... um, It was like a meme. It was like, you can always tell mom girls because they have one necklace they wear all the time. Yeah, they're both fine. Yeah. It's such a mom girl thing. Yeah. And I love the idea of like, what is a mom girl? What are yeah. the traits of a mommy's yeah, girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about mommy's boys and daddy's girls, but never mommy's girls. Yeah. And I'm a real mommy's girl. I also was thinking about how, um, in terms of sort of iconic counterparts, how interesting it was that Cher, who's clearly physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually so strong, chose with her husband, Sonny Bono, to be, wanted to be dominated, wanted to mm. be... Um, dictated to or found a safety in that and that's what Elizabeth Taylor was generally looking for was you know a strong domineering man and these are women who are like pioneers who are buccaneers it's so there's something I relate to and can understand and empathize with about it when you're a pioneer in the world uh, wanting the relaxation of just being dominated in bed and at home Yes. No. And I, I think about this a lot with Sonny and Cher. And and that's kind of the most fascinating thing is that Cher is this kind of icon who's got, you know, had a number one in all six of the last yeah. previous decades, was kind of began as a sort of a novelty act. Yeah. You know, she, yeah. she meets Sonny, who's in his mid-twenties, I yeah. think, when she's 16. Yeah. They sort of start living together very early. Um, They, you know, start this musical act or whatever mm. that I think originally is called Caesar and Cleo. Oh, my I think and I had like, to block that information. Yeah, like a lounge act, and mm. then the kind of curious thing is they go to they they do sort of a few shows in the US. Doesn't really go anywhere, but then the kind of British invasion thing is happening, and Sonny comes up with this idea that like we need to go to England, mm. get all the Bieber stuff, mm. get all sort of like hippified or whatever, and yeah. then come back as English oh. sort of pop stars, and it works. And you know they they do I got you babe and I got you babe is their big hit, and um. This thing of like, how the thing you just said about trailblazers who are able to hide within the confines of very traditional heterosexual yeah. relationships. Get some relaxation there, like a moment of respite. Yeah. A moment they go of back respite. Into the world. And I also think she was, and she says it herself, like she's able, she was able to get away with much more because she was a very young mm. married woman. Mm, 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 mm. So she was famously the first woman to show her belly button on television. <gasps> yeah, and there's a cool. Um, kind of erotic thing about the fact that because she sings baritone their voices there's a lot of moments where you can't tell which is her and which is him when they sing together that's really sexy that is sexy and kind of messed up um and i've thought a lot just segue to to the you know that she sings so deep that she is a baritone singer and when i often okay so when i was younger if i was really stressed out when i was trying to write Something I would do would go into a room and just put on makeup. There was something sort of calming about mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. And in the last few years, I found that singing Cher's ABBA songs <laughs> takes you so deep into your body that you can calm down. My daughter hates it when I do this, but I think there potentially is a connection between how deep she sings and how earthed and authentic her screen performances are. Yes. Um, Because think about it, when you sing really, really low, you feel the rumble in your body in a way that you don't when you sing high. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh my God, yeah. On that note, someone I've wondered whether she may end up being a great actress is Miley Cyrus for the same reason, who has that low, low register. I've seen her on screen and she was good. Mm. I would love to work with her because I feel like she could be great. I and agree. I, I think she is one of the most interesting vocalists that's yeah, working today. Yeah. I kind of, I don't really care about Miley Cyrus's music. I, I just want to hear her 
covering the heart of glass every day. Do you know what she I mean? covered on wildflowers by Tom Petty and it was just beautiful. So I think it's worth us mentioning the connection between being, the frequency with which tremendous singers can make tremendous actors. Yes. Um, because we're very we, we're used to talking about the transition of comedians to serious. You're mm-hmm. like, I love, of course, I love Jim Carrey's serious roles in mm-hmm. Eternal Sunshine and in Truman Show and in um, the Andy Quirk Man on the Moon. Um, when a comedian may, or when Ben Stiller does it, when a comedian does that transition, it makes sense mm-hmm. to us. But I've heard less discourse about why great singers can be so great on screen. Because off the top of my head, like. Frank Sinatra in From Here to Eternity is so devastating. Bette Midler in The Rose. Yeah, Dolly the Parton. listeners have seen that. Yeah. And uh, Steel Magnolias in 9 to 5. But the cure, well, the probably logical thing, and I don't want to name them, but singers who are okay singers tend to be okay on screen, you know? Yeah. It's a different thing because they're singing in a different reg. You know, Madonna's an okay singer. She's an okay actress. What Madonna's incredible at, as far as I'm concerned, I think she's a astonishing technically perfect dancer mm. I don't know about dancers being incredible on screen Barishnikov's done it and he was good but uh there's something about the great singers on screen I think as well I, I think that's a fabulous point and something you've kind of crystallized something I've been trying to get at in my head for mm. a while now mm. which is unrelated to share but you know I uh, whenever I just got back from Ireland mm. and um, whenever I'm there with my boyfriend we always listen to a lot of Luke Kelly in the mm-hmm, car mm-hmm. you know and Luke Kelly for anyone who doesn't know is a kind of a great dead uh, Irish vocalist who sang all the folk songs and mm. and um, it's kind of it's always amazing to me how much it grips me that this man who didn't write his own music mm. and who is singing you know 500 year old mm. songs mm. makes me feel just so moved yeah. and like I could just cry in the car listening yeah. to him you yeah. know um, which is very embarrassing. But um, this thing of like, we don't appreciate it enough because I think we over... I mean, obviously songwriting is an enormous and brilliant skill mm-hmm. and one I'm in constant awe of. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are focused on who wrote the song, who wrote the lyrics and mm-hmm. what do they mean? We're such a mm-hmm. literal society. We mm-hmm. want to know what song about, who's yeah. it about, how much of it yeah. is true, who's your so vain about? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We don't think about what the qualities it takes to be yeah. a vocalist, yeah. that to, to transport and deliver with just the timber yeah. of your voice. Well, I knew, okay, so when Cher was in the album. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com movie and she released the ABBA album I knew I would have to be incredibly careful about where I was when I listened for the Mm -hmm. first time to her version of The Winner Takes It All Mm -hmm. because The Winner Takes It All has potentially the most devastating lyric in the history of pop music which is now I understand you've come to shake my hand (laughs) it's so horrifying and uh, Agnetha does it beautifully but I knew because Cher is such a good actress that it would be fucking killer mm. and, it, and it is even with a techno beat the moment where Amanda Seyfried a, a helicopter lands and Amanda Seyfried goes grandma and then Cher <laughs> turns her head around and you see that it's Cher and my kid was like I love this film just that sort of um the last time I remember feeling it when, the first time I saw The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler mm. and the intro is him singing um, You Spin Me Right Round and the credit sequence is so great they're just like, I'm in, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. 
I find it so lovely that you, the way you centre yourself is um, by singing Cher's version of the ABBA songs. Yeah, yeah. how I centre myself mm. and the song I always sing at karaoke and it's kind mm. of like at the beginning of a karaoke Rich. night. It's what I used to get me in the zone. Yeah. It's her version of Walking in Memphis. Oh my God, that's <laughs> so, because we could talk just about her covers. Yeah. And I do, that's my favourite of her covers. It's so, it's, it's, it's no, the version for me. I'm so sorry. My favourite is just like Jesse James. But is that a both, cover? Yeah, they're both Mark Cohn songs. I did Same not singer. know that. Yeah. Because I always say that um, Walking Memphis is my favourite sort of Cher cover yeah. and Jesse James is my favourite Cher song. Yeah. But they're both Mark Cohen songs. So again, Cher adjacent story, not as good as the rhinoplasty story. But um, I wrote a screenplay about, God, probably 10 years ago now called Liars A to E that um, is one of the great sorrows of my life. It was being made by Richard Linklater and starring Rebecca Hall and it fell over in oh. pre-production. But in the script, the female lead at karaoke in a moment of heartbreak had to sing just like Jesse James. Uh, and I remember, you know, the moment. Because I've been such a hard song. It's such a hard song. It's, and I've been going back and forth with Link later. He was like, are you, because we worked together on it for six months. He was like, are you sure you want that song? Is that the song that you want? It's like, that's the song I want. And he's like, okay, Re- Rebecca says she's committed to it. You know, she can, she's going to make it. Uh, to never have seen Rebecca Hall do the cover of Cher covering that song is painful when That's I think so about the things in my life that the sliding doors, things that should have happened. But I always think that if if that lyric from The Winner Takes It All is the most sort of tragic <sighs> line of all time, to me, the most erotic line Tell of me. all time is come on, baby, show me what that loaded gun is for. Yeah. <laughs> come on, baby, show me what that loaded gun is for. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah. fuck me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you oh. think Cher, I feel potentially like, is there an aspect of her that was prototype man repeller? Like, is she for women? Do, are men horrified by her voracious? No, I think, I think that, the, and you see this in the powerful. kind of, the arc of both, um, her music in terms of like the, what the themes that come up again in the music yeah. and also the arc that she plays on screen a lot yeah. is men are obsessed with her in spite of themselves right they're like oh yeah. fuck's sake yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. annoyed yeah. that I, I'm obsessed with yes. Cher right okay because that's Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck yeah. and Bob Hoskins in Mermaids yeah yeah, yeah, it's that yeah. kind of thing, and we, I think we—it's why we all love her and sort of want to dream through her so much. Mm. And it's the kind of atmosphere of like, oh God damn it, woman, yeah. I'm crazy about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. very 1930s almost. Like God yeah. damn it, can't you see? Yeah. I'm wild about you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. so. It's just. Yeah. Um. Where, so I watched, I rewatched a lot of her movies, and something. Again, to go back to the idea of Shara's magic trick and her ability to do things, two things at once. She's such an electric presence. She's such a character and a dame and a powerful force, but she's also a vulnerable and authentic actress. And that's a really unusual combination. I'll give you an example. So to me, Mm. Natasha Lyon, the actress, Mm -hmm. is like... And such an amazing star, epic, powerful presence. She doesn't have range and she's not, Mm. you know, it's so nice to see someone be so bold and so loud. Um, But that, the acting is not really acting, you know, it's, Uh. it's, and it's limited. Uh Whereas Cher has all of that. Plus, like the tremulous, authentic vulnerability of a Judy Dench who she's actually acted with in Tea with Mussolini mm. and it's a really weird combination it's hard to put your finger on isn't it because I mean they always sort of say is that like oh the kind of difference between a sort of an actor and a star is that you kind of always you always know you're looking at Brad Pitt yeah but you're you're pleased kind of yeah right right, right 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 whereas an actor can disappear into a role and Cher can kind of do both she does you're both. always aware you're looking at Cher yeah. but you also believe that she's the woman from Moonstruck or well there's a really simple, so, so when I directed my movie on together what I would do was I would turn in the editing room I would turn the volume off and just look Mm. at them and go does it feel like a real human that's the key right is you watch Judy Dench and you go yep it's a human it's really simple as opposed to actors who are often um, proclaimed as incredible actors who when you really look at it with the volume off they're waiting for their turn to speak Mm. 
You know, mm. Cher's listening. Mm. That's the difference. She's listening to the other person. Her and Bob Hoskins are so lovely together in Mermaids. Do you want to talk about Mermaids? I can yeah. tell you want to talk about yeah. Mermaids. I really do. It's, I just, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I just find it so, because I think it has something, the quality about it of being, you know, not particularly well received in its day, I think. And I think just received by a kind of a, I think it was a bo- it was a box office hit, and she had the number one hit at the same time with the shoot with shoot the shoot song, shoot yeah the soundtrack was huge propels it but further. If you read kind of contemporaneous reviews, it's all a bit like yeah, nothing women's happened. picture, women's picture, yeah. yeah, classic women's picture. And it's such kind of it is everything that women go to the cinema for. Yeah. It's like women's relationships with each other, women living in a pile in a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's uh, she's the mother. Winona Ryder is her elder teenage daughter, and Christina mm. Ricci, baby Christina Ricci, aged like six or seven, yeah. Yeah. is the little daughter. Bob Hoskins is the kind and sexy and funny man she doesn't want to let in but she ends up letting in and it's like a perfect the dream father figure as it, well. it's just so filled with these lovely little set details and set in the 60s yeah. and and this kind of the, the sort of the kind of um the way it's sort of set up is that like uh mrs flax who's uh shares character is yeah. kind of um this i mean she basically lives her life like a man, except that she's a mother, is yeah. kind of the thing, is that yeah. she, she doesn't want to get too attached, she loves sex, she's yeah. not doing it for like attention or validation, she yeah. simply loves sex, right. she loves who she is, yeah. she's got no doubts about herself whatsoever, which is a fine way for a man to live, but yeah. not a mother of yeah, two yeah, children, yeah. Yeah. and she's sort of always picking up and leaving, and then the kind of, the sort of unstoppable force meeting the immovable object yeah. is Winona Ryder, who, yeah. uh, even though they're this Jewish family, yeah. she's decided that she's obsessed with Catholicism yeah. and God and yeah. nuns and Wants stuff. Wants to be a nun. Yeah. And it's this fabulous kind of Gilmore Girls-esque type of yes, setup. Yes, proto-Gilmore Girls. Yes, but with more kind of grit in it, I guess. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the Gilmore Girls, but yeah. they're, they're, they're genuinely a match for one another, yeah, which is, yeah. makes it exciting to watch. And they yeah. kind of collide when she, when on a writer's character falls in love with this, the dumbest boy alive. Yeah. <laughs> Just a nothing. And it's like this, watching it again recently... The kind of he's like the 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 caretaker for yeah. the nunnery up the yeah. road. His name is Joe, yeah. and he just gives. He's like got about seven lines. He's got yeah. less lines than I'd say Farmer Hoggett does in Babe. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's just like these two women battling over the soul of this caretaker yeah. while also just trying to love each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And it's you know the other thing. I was really there's two things I was shocked by when I rewatched it. One, I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that Winona's not a great actress she is a she's a great star she's a great star but she does a you know Cher is so good and so textured and so real again to keep coming back to this such it's amazing that we're doing an episode about an absolute camp icon and mm. the word I feel like we're using the most is authentic yeah. where I am anyway yeah and Winona, Winona doesn't have the chops opposite her. She's beautiful. Like, again, it's just like so lovely to look at her and be with her and her presence is great. But she does a lot of sort of eye rolling and mm. shoulder shrugging and she doesn't hold her own next to Cher. I, I don't think. I think they're, Winona, they're great together. Winona Ryder ha- has had great moments, I think. Yeah. I think like her... You can use her well. You can use... Yeah, she, yeah. Can, she can definitely tap into a truth yeah. that um, is communicated so beautifully through mm. those huge eyes that mm-hmm. I think so many teen girls you know, yeah, dreamed themselves yeah, into. Yeah. And I think her as Joe March is just, you know, it's a beautiful performance. Mm. But I think there's definitely Winona Ryder beats that she hits, yeah. particularly in those younger roles. Yeah, and yeah. it is a bit like a trained dog, I think. That's how it feels. And it's kind yeah. of, she. she's always sort of this distressed, smart teenager in the past mm, 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 mm. who's narrating kind of her life or mm, whatever and, mm. and just being like, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. I know, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Kind of and the other thing that shot me when I rewatched her, obviously... In the Winona canon, the crazy teenage girl movie is Girl Interrupted. I had not realized in Mermaids how clearly, rather than being like a troubled teenage girl she's a teenage girl with mental illness yeah the whole the whole scene where she runs away yeah and goes to uh, knocks on a family's door and just asks to stay and tells them lies about her family and who she is it's like oh your mother is dealing with a very troubled yeah that was heavier than I remembered and I was sort of surprised they got away with it in such a you know gentle film what 
that's I was I have the exact same feeling. I remember it as being this kind of movie that was often on TV in the week kind yeah, of thing, yeah. and I'd always I, I, it's almost like the way I remember it is with ad breaks. Do you mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it being a very wholesome, almost like Gilmore Girls esque yeah. type of yeah. thing. But it it is quite troubling, yeah. and and what was much more troubling than I thought that I remembered was the scene where, which I always remembered as being quite a comedic scene. Yeah. When she goes to the gynecologist to see, oh she thinks my god, she's been yes, immaculate conception or whatever, yeah. and then he examines her, and the foley work on that sort yeah. of scene yeah. is gro- you kind of hear a kind of a oh, it's horrible, a horrible yeah. kind of yeah, kind of oh, sound. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's disturbing, and um, it's it's violent and it's quick and it's yeah. like it feels like a weird assault, and then it just yeah. the film kind of breezes past. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my favorite line reading from Cher in that whole movie, and it's a film I love, is, oh good, we're playing my favorite game. Who's the worst mother in the world? Could it be, mm, let me see, is it <gasps> me? <laughs> and again, it's that thing of just like, she's so fun and funny and it's all real. It's just a real human. It, it, and this, I, everything just feels so lived in, this sort of, this and it it felt even though it's never happened to me with my mother I can just imagine it very well I can put myself in that role where um, Winona's trying to like she's creating a picnic for Joe because mm-hmm. she's going mm-hmm. fishing with mm-hmm. him and she's like uh, narrating herself and being like I'm making big hearty male sandwiches yeah. a man can sink his teeth yeah. into and then just Cher comes along and just she takes a star shaped cookie cutter and puts <laughs> a star through every sandwich yes I love that too and she only makes fun finger food she yes, doesn't make meals. Ma- like marshmallow kebabs yeah, and yeah, things yeah 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 and then look, I mean, that's a great film, but one of the most perfect films of all time is Moonstruck. It's mm-hmm. just a, the, oh my God, it's so fun, but it's so profound. Um, John Shanley went on to write Doubt, the play and the, and, oh, wow. and the movie, but I think most people would agree it's actually Moonstruck that's his masterpiece. Yeah. And it has really lasted in a way that... Oh my God, Nicholas! You know, I know it's written on my heart. Nicholas's Nicholas Cage's speech when he's trying to persuade her, who's engaged to his brother, to take what they've done, which was just a one night, meant to be just a one night stand, one off, and be with him. And he says, "We are put on this earth to ruin ourselves and break our hearts and love the wrong people and die." Oh. Yeah. And if you take lines like that and you're saying it to someone who looks like Cher at her peak, it's just... And when I say peak, it's not about age. It's because she kept going with the plastic surgery and Mm. the stuff she ended up with. I see less of her in it. Yeah. You know, but also she did what the fuck she likes. Like if that's what she wants to do with her face. I could put my boobs on my back and it's no one's business but my own. Very good at that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, and that's the truth. That that know. scene where there, it's such a mad, it's such a mad film. It's like yeah. it's amazing to me that it got made because there's so many. It's got this like all these knobbly textures on it that you would think the production process would smooth off, and they just somehow, by some miracle of the filmmaking gods, stayed off. Like the fact that he's got one hand. Yeah, but <laughs> and listen, it's also it's the late '80s when you also get films like Broadcast News that yeah, are oh my God, so complicated. Yeah, one of the best films ever made. Please come back for Broadcast News. Working it's one of my favorite films. All those films yes. that are crowd-pleasing and yet um, spiritually evolved and complicated and good people do bad things and bad people do good things Mm. and you don't necessarily like the ending of broadcast news where nobody ends up with anybody and they're all just married to other people in the future incredible Um, and so yeah Moonstruck is of that era when studios were making these beautiful truthful but fun movies like the scene where they're sitting at the kitchen table and they haven't slept together yet, but there's this kind of charge between them. Yeah. And she's sort of doing this thing. And it's like a role I think all women has have played with yeah. men they're friends with yeah. in their life, where yeah. you're telling the man that you're friends with about his life. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she gives this whole monologue about sort of, chew, a bit of he's a wolf who's chewed yeah. off his arm to yeah. free himself and yeah. all this. And he, he's like, well, what's going on? What are yeah. you doing? And she's like, I'm telling you about your life. Yeah. What, what do you want? Yeah. And then he picks her up and carries her to the bed. Yeah. And she's like, oh, for God's sake. All yeah. right. Okay, put me fine. down. <laughs> yeah. And that's how they have sex for yeah. the first time. Yeah. She's like, yeah. okay, whatever. Yeah. 
because it's, baby Nicolas Cage just being super beautiful too. You know, I think he's in his early twenties in that movie. But they seem like, you know, have you seen that Instagram account? Siblings are dating. No. It's basically like an Instagram account um, that's like, these two people, are they siblings or are they right. dating? But that happens a lot, right? People are drawn to people who look like them, feel like them. It happens. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a few pictures of me and my partner where we do look like brother and sister and I find it a bit creepy. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think there's something, especially with cinematic couples as well, mm. that's kind of... Um, Lovers who are also kind of dark twins. They're wild. They're both know? so wild. They're they so wild. wild. They have the. They both have the face carved on the ancient rock. Yes, you know, look, both of them. Yeah, you know, I think you're right that it's just you can put people on screen whose beauty uh, get gets the volume turned up because they look different like that. I want to say like Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor and mm. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, mm. or you can take a Sharon and Nicholas Cage who probably come from the same tribe you know you can feel that yes and it's so hot going back to your original point yes. could we say not that i know enormous amount about him yeah is nicholas cage share for men i mean maybe kind spin-off of... podcast <laughs> yeah maybe is this guy i remember that, that your... he is who he is he is who... the writer um joel goldby who is brilliant he um yeah. wrote this piece years ago that was like the rock is beyonce for men and he's like doing right. he kind of Possess, possesses that sort of like larger mm. than life mm. everywhere mm. all the time all at once yeah. kind of energy it's yeah. so macho that's almost a joke in the same way that yeah. Beyonce's so feminine is almost a joke yeah. Nicolas Cage he's he's a freak but yeah. he's in a kind of authentic and centred and troubled freak that's yeah. and he's he may he may be that I, I could go with that I also think something that is really um, relaxing um, and joyful about Moonstruck it taps into that thing of any film where it's a culture expressed really um, clearly that isn't your own. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in an Italian-American yeah. family, but similarly, like, remember Whale Rider? Do I remember. I, I don't that, remember seeing it, but I remember the same big feeling of like this it, isn't yes. my culture, but I recognise these mm-hmm. family beats. That's a really great thing for an audience. Um, uh, the farewell by Lulu Wang two years ago. That beautiful yes, film um, about her dying grandma and yes. her going back to be with her. Same thing. It's like this isn't my culture, but I feel these familial beats is a really cool combination that's something that i love about moonstruck in particular i also as someone like all of us obsessed with house porn with real estate porn Mm -hmm. like with wasting my writing days by looking at real estate that i will never afford i love looking at the houses in it's brooklyn heights um in moonstruck that would now sell for you know like the five bed brooklyn house that would now sell for like four million dollars is a great joy of that film that's well. a great joy. Yeah. And it kind of, do you know what, in my head, because it's been a while since I've seen it, mm. um, it nestled kind of next to quite comfortably My Big Fat Greek Wedding because it's kind of like, oh yeah, sort of slightly dowdy woman who's kind of getting on, but she's got a lot of personality and then she meets a guy. But then rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is not that at all. No. It is it is just about like two electric eels trapped yeah. in yeah, Brooklyn yeah. together. Well, because do you remember that the central, there's there's a running thing of him wanting to take her to the opera and they go to the opera and, yeah. she's, and that comes back. Well, it's an operatic love story between them, you know, mirroring the opera that they go yeah. to. Yeah, it's just stunning. Um, I, I also want to uh, talk about I Got You, Babe. Because Please. The minute you got in I here, actually, and yeah. we've never met before. Yeah. Um, but you said, do you know that she did a cover of I Got You, Babe, with Beavis and Butthead? That went to number one. That went to number one. And we watched it. And it so works. And it begins with, let's look at some, let's look at a hot chick who used to be married to some nerd. With tattoos on her butt. <laughs> with tattoos yeah. on her butt. And um, the thing about I Got You, Babe, is that, you know, it's the, it's, you know, the initial reason why Sherry became her famous. Her original signature song, yeah. Um, and every time I hear it, even though it is the schmaltziest song, it's like mm. up there with the carpenters kind mm. of thing. It's like that mm-hmm. level. It's the schmaltziest song in history, and it makes me cry every time. Because I Because there's it. a purity there to is. the carpenters that's real. Yeah. Again, authentic. You know, and there's a purity to that song and what she does with the Beavis and Butthead cover. That's just like the central example of why Cher is a genius. Is 
she gives a off-the-charts, knockout, astonishing vocal performance and allows two stick-figure mm. cartoons to make fun of the vocal performance all through the song while it's happening. Like, she gives this blow-the-roof-off vocals and all the way through they're going... Dun, 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 dun. And... It's both hilarious, because Cher is hilarious. This is someone who will only use the toilet emoji instead of writing the word Trump in her Twitter account. Um, and simultaneously is giving this extraordinary vocal performance. I don't know if it's about humility that she went with, because also it's a smart business decision. It went to number one and I assume she got royalties mm -hmm. all over again, mm -hmm. um, reached a new audience all over again. Um, but I think... There's also an artistic confidence in going, I'm so gifted that I can give a blow the roof off vocal performance and you can make fun of it because I've got more of them. Take it. Take it. Have, have it. it. I've got more. And at that point, what, she's in her 50s, I imagine? In that? It's, so, it's a bit like, do you know, when you look up Bowie's age in things, it's always younger than you think it was. Mm -hmm. Like when he's in Labyrinth, he's not in his 40s yet. It's so bizarre that is to me because he started younger than you think and shares the same. So, you know, when everyone was mocking the Turn Back Time video because this incredibly elderly woman was in a Lycra see-through thing astride a cannon. She's, she's, like 40. 40. she's 42, you know, which is younger than me. Like it's nothing. That That sort of... Like, Cher walked so we could run. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I think all the time about Carly Minogue and the um, the golden hot pants moment, mm -hmm. which I think I was, you know, in my early teens when mm. that. What was the can't get you out of my mind? Was that the, can't get you out of my head? Can't get you out of my head. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember I was at that point too young to have remembered Neighbours Kylie, so mm -hmm. Kylie was like kind of a brand new prospect to for you. me. Yeah, and everyone, all the grown ups around me, just talking non-stop about the golden hot pants and how yeah. she was god she's very old to be wearing that You're but right. uh you know good on she her looks great. she looks great yeah. kind of thing but jesus god 35 she was 35 wow yeah and that's in yeah. my lifetime you know mm, like mm, that's mm, since mm. i've become a woman you know what i mean like it's it's incredible to me mm. and now we've got like artists like self esteem who are becoming huge pop sensations as you know, women in their mm. mid to late thirties, and that shouldn't be amazing, but it is. Why? Okay, so when Cher dates younger men, which she has often done, done and embraced, she's just ended and a taught... relationship with a younger man. Did it end? Yes, yes. Oh, I can't remember his name, news. but it's over. Right. Okay, and she seemed to have had a very nice time with him. Why, in parallel, when Madonna does it, is it sort of? toe curling and upsetting and with Cher we feel kind of thrilled <laughs> yeah it's so interesting the the Madonna and Cher have many things in common but I don't associate them at all what you do know? you think they have in common because oh, I well, don't they, they, get they've, it. they've been out just the facts of their lives right they're women who've been around a long time who have yeah. shifted many times right. who have transpersed lots and of associated with surgery and artistic yeah, you know, yeah. films yeah music whatever and yet, there's an associ I associate Madonna with a kind of a hollowness, right? And a hollowed outness, you know. Yeah, that's um, what I was talking about when I said the feeling that Cher would take you with her. Yes. You know who Cher's good friends with, and I get the same vibe off her is Cindy Lauper. I oh, always 100%, felt percent like yes. Cindy will take you with her. Like if you reached out and touched her, you would feel warm flesh that her clothes in all of the videos like you can feel the fibers on mm. them just by looking at them do you know what I mean like yeah. in all the sort of layers of crinoline and stuff um we've talked about Cher's brilliant covers of other people there's a really sweet Cindy Lauper cover of If I Could Turn Back Time that she did oh. for Cher when Cher was given the Kennedy medal the presidential medal of freedom you yeah, know that thing the they do in yeah. America one of those um, and that's really lovely you can look it up oh. on YouTube and Cher's delighted and standing up and cheering oh, and singing along yes I yes. like their friend can we think about their friendship I didn't even I know they it, were friends oh it's a but nice it thought so yeah, sense yeah, to me yeah Oh, and just like Cindy Lauper's little voice, the way she talks. Yeah. Again, same thing like camp and yet absolutely authentic. Absolutely sincere yeah. in the moment, yeah. listening, yeah. eyes open. Yeah. 
Yeah. I guess this yeah. is a good time to talk about, because like, I remember a few years ago at the Met Gala, everyone mm. was up in arms because they were sure they had the definition of camp. Um, oh, interesting. But I, I, I'm interested in what your definition is. Um, do you know what? I, th- I, I think less often about that word and more often as the parent of a little girl, mm. I've really tracked the first musicians that thrill and excite her and what little people like and what stays with you Mm. in life is they like drama. So, you know, that's why one of my kids' first loves was Freddie Mercury and that's why kids love Bowie and you can get them into Kate Bush Mm -hmm. and they like big, they had, little people have big feelings and they like big emotional swings, you know, from their stars. So I've thought more often about that than about the, concept of camp a share life lesson that i hold very dear she taught in a npr interview a while ago about how in the first film she ever did which was a robert altman movie called combat to the five and dime jimmy dean which jimmy i have dean. seen have she, you seen it yeah we're one of the five people who have yeah well, they, well yeah well, you know film students yeah um she smartly um is a supporting Mm-hmm. Well, you know, she doesn't have a lead role. And when he offered her the role, she said, no, I want that one. She said, I want the bigger, meatier mm-hmm. role. And he sort of laughed and was like, you've never acted before. Why would I give you the... And she said, no, no, I don't expect you to give it to me. I'm just telling you what I want. Oh. Like That's huge. Like, do you have wow. the courage to say out loud what you want, knowing it's very likely you may not get it. That's a big thing, I think. Wow. Because, like, that is not how 99% of people conduct themselves. Like, people can be, like, up for promotions that they are absolutely eligible for and are afraid of looking like they want it too much. Simply saying the thing that you want, even though you don't really intend to fight for it, you just want to make it known, is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah, God. it comes. It actually to go full circle back to the beginning of the interview. Um, it is my essential understanding of Judaism could be summed up in one line: Have you the courage to raise your voice to the sky, knowing you may never get an answer? My understanding of Jewishness is constantly asking questions of God, rather than sort of a more what I perceive as a more Christian um, concept of a vengeful. Yeah, God or this all-powerful God. The rabbi that I grew up with, um, Rabbi Hugo Grin, was an Auschwitz survivor and he was asked, how could you have been through that and still believe in God? And he said, I believe that God was there and that he was weeping with us. Mm. I don't know how we got here, but, but yeah, the idea, you know, that we're all... In real Kabbalah, not like Madonna Kabbalah, in real Kabbalah, a really fascinating idea is that God himself is broken and that he loves broken people because he is broken. So he hands a little piece of his brokenness to everybody to in their lifetime fix, try and fix. And that brings me to the people that I love and admire. Like I feel about Cher, you know, I feel like she doesn't think she has all the answers but she's trying her best you know and she raises her voice to the heavens knowing she may not get the answer she may not get the role she wants but she's never been afraid to speak out loud yeah oh that's really floored (laughs) me that that and I think it's very relevant what is particularly I mean I think camp is such a big and elastic term that you could be there all day debating it but there's no um, doubt that Cher is a gay icon and I think when you talk about um, God himself is broken. Yeah, and, and he every- hands a piece of himself. That's the thing. It's yeah. like watching people who are a bit broken yeah. triumph yeah. and triumph in spite of what others wanting to see them fail. And there are plenty of people yeah. who wanted to see Cher yeah. fail. Yeah. That's what makes somebody yeah. an icon. Yeah, that's gay where- icon. So, right, yeah. so in this analogy, Cher is the broken God who hands pieces of herself. Yes. To- yeah, I love it. Great. <laughs> well <laughs> good, done. Good work from yeah. us. <laughs> Um, wow, I, I, 
Honestly, that's like a, I think a lovely place to finish. Okay. And, but I, I, I know there's so much more of share that we could possibly get through. Is there anything else um, we want to sh- talk about? Share anything, about share. Everything. Share about share. And while you're thinking, I just say that I have been wanting to do this episode for years and you have more than delivered. I feel like I thought I was a big share fan, but now I feel like my head's been completely spun off my body. Okay. No, I think the way I want to end is by sharing with the listeners because I'm about to go into the world into a difficult day. I haven't slept enough. So I'm going to share my breathing exercise with you for, for, for the listeners to try for themselves okay. if they need to get back in their body. Okay. It was shining there for you and me For liberty, Fernando Oh my God! <laughs> I love you! So much. Let's go. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.